Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. But for now, we hope you enjoy this message from our guest minister. Thanks for tuning in today. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Well, the applause, the applause is for Jesus. Amen. 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 I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm just glad God's still using available mud. Praise <laughs> God. Jesus spit on the dirt and made anointed mud out of it and wiped it on blind eyes and they were opened. And I'm glad he's still using available mud today. So thank God. And uh, delight to be here. Honored to be here. We appreciate Pastor Mike and Vicki and the family and the ministry so much. Like he said, we've been long, long time friends. And uh, uh, you guys have been supporting us in missions over and over and over and around the world and with orphans and with uh, uh, pastors' conferences and, and, and evangelistic crusades and all that kind of stuff for a long time. And uh, we just uh, always count it a joy to be in, in the house of God. Amen. Well, say this with me. I know God is good. Say it like you mean it. I know God is good. And I know His Word is truth. Amen. Jesus said that. Father, thy word is truth. Not true, but truth. It's absolute truth. You can always go into here, find out what the truth is, and put the truth against whatever you're believing God for, and uh, see the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Well, you can be seated this morning. Love the praise and worship this morning. It was so nice to invite the Holy Spirit here and say, Holy Spirit, uh, you're welcome here. And uh, then the Holy Spirit showed up, took the invitation, and ministered to us. That was wonderful. You know, um, that doesn't happen a lot anymore in churches in America. In fact, I have one friend that pastored a humongous church here in America. And uh, they literally pass out a bulletin at the Sunday morning service. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people come there. And they pass out a bulletin on Sunday morning that says, There will be no move of the Holy Spirit in the Sunday morning service. So they might as well be singing, Holy Spirit, you're not welcome here. I mean, they put the Holy Spirit on notice, you are not welcome here. But you know, Steve, a lot of people over a lot of years have asked me, say, Brother Terry, talk to us about revival. What's revival? Tell us about revival. What's revival about? And I've just always said it like this. Revival is when the Holy Spirit interrupts the church. See, we know how to have church without the Holy Spirit. We know how to have church without him. I mean, churches do it every Sunday. I mean, there's churches all over town doing it right now. You know, we know how to, have, we know how to get up and have church, start the service, sing three fast songs, three slow songs. We know how to make announcements, take up the offering, and then have a little message, and then go home. In time for the ball game. Right? We, we know how to do that. But when the Holy Spirit interrupts us, then all the other rules and regulations go out the window, and we may be here a while. Amen. Now, don't get scared. Longest time, longest I've ever preached in one sermon is ten and a half hours. So don't don't uh, don't, don't 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 get scared. I don't feel that anointing today, but uh, uh, but you'd like it if we did. I tell you, when the Holy Ghost interrupts us, when the Holy Ghost interrupts us, I was telling the men yesterday that uh, Proverbs thirty-one tells us that that we need to interrupt people. We need to stop people because they're, they're on their way to destruction. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and verse 9, it says, Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. It says they're appointed to destruction. Every baby born on this planet has a date with hell, a destiny with hell, unless some Christian interrupts them. Unless some Christian interrupts them, gets in their face, says, Hey, honey, you need to accept Jesus. 
Amen. And see all this politically correct nonsense today about all the different gods are the same and all the different religions are the same. That'll take you to hell unless a Christian gets in somebody's face and interrupts them. And says, honey, I love you and I'm not trying to offend you, but you, 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 if you're going to go God shopping, you've been shopping for the wrong God. There's only, there's only, one, there's only one God, he's Jehovah. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth, I am the door, I am the resurrection. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, I wish that wasn't true. I wish Jesus hadn't said that, but he did. USA Today has told us numbers of times that Oprah Winfrey is the pastor of America, that Oprah is the spiritual guru of America. Now, now I don't know Oprah. I'm not her judge. I'm sure she's a nice lady. I, I know she does a lot of charitable work, philanthropic work, and stuff like that. Helps a lot of people. But she's not my pastor. I wouldn't look to her for spiritual advice. And yet she gives this spiritual advice that America, that USA Today says that America follows her spiritual advice. And I've heard what she preaches. She preaches, you worship and serve any deity you want to and you'll be okay. Now that'll take you to hell. And so we have to interrupt people. We have to get in their face and say, uh, you know, Billy Graham said this. He said, we're living in America today where we don't mind offending anybody but God. That's right. We don't want to offend anybody but God. It's okay to, it's okay to offend God, but let's don't, let's don't offend anybody else. And, you know, we're going to have to stop that nonsense. Jesus, I won't go into this again, but I told the men yesterday, you get it on the CD, I told the men yesterday, Jesus was the most politically incorrect person on the planet. Jesus offended everybody. He was an equal opportunity offender. Jesus was anointed to offend people. I mean, he told one lady and her, and, her, and her daughter that had a demon spirit, he told them they were dogs and he wasn't even going to help them. He said, no, y'all are dogs. I'm not going to help you. Well, I've never called a lady a dog. Never called her daughter a dog. But Jesus was anointed to offend people. Went in church one day and ran everybody out of the church. Made himself a whip and beat them with a whip. You know, I mean, that's pretty offensive. The Bible calls him the rock of offense. Isn't that right? And so we're going to have to be careful with all this stuff saying, oh, we don't want to offend somebody. No, if you don't, they're going to go to hell. So you need to get in their face and say, hey, we, we need to talk. We need to talk. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And no man comes to the Father but through Jesus. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. I'm delighted to be here this morning. I tell you, I am, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a missionary. I'm an apostle. And uh, in the true sense of that word. And so my messages are, are not pastoral messages. My messages are apostolic messages. I intend to leave by the Holy Ghost an apostolic anointing and deposit in this place today. And uh, I'm expecting, as I told the men this week, that I'm expecting that you're, uh, you're going to be able to look back on, on the dates of these conferences and this, this weekend and write that on your calendar and say, you know, that's the day that, that's the day that some things change. That's the day I changed my mind about some things. That's the, thing that, that's the day that God uh, touched me and pricked my heart. I was praying for you this morning about that. Acts 2.22, the Bible says when Peter stood up and preached his first sermon full of the Holy Ghost, it says the people's hearts were pricked. It's like you take a pen and prick your hand. Their, their hearts were pricked, and all of a sudden uh, things begin to happen. And 3,000 people got saved that day. So, uh, all right, let's get into the Word this morning. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for this great church with a great pastor, with a great congregation, with a great God. 
with a great vision to get the gospel to the world. Father, I thank you that this place is the lighthouse that you've called it to be to shine the glorious light of the gospel to the nations, to shine the light where the light's dim and name the name of Jesus where it's not been named. And Father, Brother Osteen used to tell us way back decades ago, he'd tell us the light that shines the furthest away is the brightest at home. So thank you for a bright light, a healthy light at home, a strong local church, a healthy local church that can shine that light. Thank you that men and women, boys and girls, can come in this place and, and be fed and be ministered to and be changed and be equipped to live in this dangerous day that we're living in. Paul said these days are perilous times and it's dangerous out there. But we can be equipped in this church with this message and uh, live as more than conquerors, as Christ-like ones, as imitators of King Jesus. To get the job done. And we thank you for it. Father, they should be looking us up in the yellow pages under conquerors more than. And I thank you for that. Now, Father, I ask you, as I've already talked to you about, that I'll not speak of myself nor in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit, the greater one that indwells me, rise up big within me now. Think through my thoughts and speak through my lips and minister words that get on the inside of us and create faith. For faith comes by hearing the word. As we hear the word this morning, faith will rise in this place. Father, faith will rise in this place. Faith will rise in this place. There's no question about that. And as our faith rises, you're able to touch us at the point of that faith and do miracles. Do the supernatural. Do the impossible. And we thank you for it. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. We give you the majesty. Give you dominion. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All oh, the name of Jesus. The name that heaven's never failed to honor and hell's never failed to tremble at. The name of Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. 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 Are y'all happy about all that? Sometimes I just pray myself happy. Praise the Lord. I've got a real serious message to minister to you this morning. The guys that were here this week, we're just, we're just tagging this on with that. It's just a follow through. And you ladies can get those CDs from, and, and, uh, and just, just put those messages together. But uh, I, I'm ministering a lot on spiritual authority. It's a day and age that we live that we have got to learn how to live in spiritual authority. That you've got things attacking your kids, attacking your, your family, attacking your finances, attacking your town, attacking all kind of things, attacking the institution of marriage, attacking your Christianity. I mean, we, 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 <laughs> there's a lot of attacks out there. And we need to learn to stand in spiritual authority. Amen. And not get goofed up with that with goofy Christian ideas. You know, you know, right Christian ideas are great and goofy Christian ideas are really bad. I mean, right after Columbine shooting happened all those many years ago and then several copycat shootings after that, I literally would be in churches in America and literally have people come up to me in the service and say, Brother Terry, you know, we're, we're praying. It, 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 you know, m maybe that'll happen at our kids' school. Maybe our kids will get to be martyrs for Jesus. Can you imagine that, Vicky? And I'd say, bite your tongue. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Don't say things like that. You need to get out there at your kid's school and march around the thing seven times and shout and tell the devil he's not touching this and where the sole of your foot treads it's yours and there's no demon of, of, of murder and no demon of assassination, no demon of terror coming on this place and you're, this place protected because your kids are here. Amen. That's what God gave us spiritual authority for. It's not, it's not to be, be cannon fodder for the devil and to roll over and play dead when the devil comes along. 
And I was talking to men this week that all over the world right now, they're knocking on people's doors and dressed in black uh, attire and a black face mask and AK-47 in their hand and knives in their belts and saying, are you a Christian? And when the person says yes, they know that they're going to die, their wife's going to die, their kids are going to die. And so many of them uh, deny Jesus and, no, no, I'm not a Christian. Uh, but many others are saying, yes, I am a Christian. And so they're all they're all murdered. They're all slaughtered. And then these school shootings and these workplace shootings that have happened here in America, the church in, in, uh, in Charleston and all the, uh, the San Bernardino and all these things, it always comes, these guys, every one of them come up and say, are you a Christian? That started in Columbine with, with Dylan, what's his name? Are you a Christian? It's always been that way. San Bernardino was the same thing. Are you a Christian? Somebody said the bravest person uh, on the planet is the second person that the terrorists ask that question to because they know what happened to the first person. And yet that second person looks at me now and says, yes, I'm a Christian. And they go, pow, you're dead. Well, my problem with that, and I told the men this week, my problem with all that is where are these people going to church? It makes a difference where you go to church. If you go down the, down the street to the church of the, the frozen chosen, and they tell you, and they tell you, you don't have any power, and you're just here. All that we're just here, just whatever the devil does. It's just our reasonable service. No, you need to come to a church like this. They'll tell you how to operate in spiritual authority. And my question is, where are all those Christians going to church at all overseas and here in the states? What's their pastor teaching them? What's their pastor telling them? Obviously, he's not teaching them spiritual authority because they ought to be able to stick their finger in those guys' face and say, let me tell you something. My God's bigger than your God. My daddy's bigger than your daddy. If anybody's going to be dying around here, it's going to be you and not me in the name of Jesus. You know, I've been shot at lots of times before overseas. I've been shot at a number of different countries, had knives to my throat and guns to my head and my back and my side and uh, in my forehead and shot at point blank range five times. The bullets didn't hit me. Shot at from afar. The bullets didn't hit me. I mean, we're, we're supposed to be the church. The church should mean something. There's a, there's a, let me say it like this. There's a difference in, in atheists and disciples. We're the disciples. We ought to look different, talk different, act different, live different, be different. Amen, Brother Terry. That's a good word. Just keep preaching. Well, thank you. But there's some things we're going to have to address to get the church in that position. And one of those things is this. Psalms 11, verse 3. Let me see what time it is. It's 11.15. Y'all, uh, when I see three people asleep on the same row, now I'll quit. Psalm, Psalms 11.3. God makes this powerful, powerful statement. He said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Michael, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What are you going to do if you have no foundation? You can't build something without a foundation. You've got to have a strong foundation. God says, now, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, the patriarchs in the Old Testament, the old fathers in the Old Testament, the old patriarchs in the Old Testament, God would tell them from time to time to mark a place. He'd tell them to drive stakes in the ground at a place, or he'd tell them to put a post up at the place, or he'd tell them to put a pile of stones up at that place. And he told them to leave those stones there. And don't move those stones, don't move those stakes, don't move those posts. And he said, so then in the time to come, the children, your children and your grandchildren, he even said this, the children yet to be born, will come by and say, hey, I've been wondering about these stones. What, what, what's the meaning, Grandpa? What's the meaning of these stones right here? What's that post for? It's been here all my life, and everybody's told me don't touch it, to leave it alone. What's it here for? 
What's that stake in the ground for? And God says, when they do, then you tell them the great facts. The great facts of what God's done for Israel. You tell them, honey, that stake right there reminds us that when we were 400 years in captivity, slaves in, in Egypt, and God led us out and put, brought us to the promised land. That one reminds us that when we were hungry in the desert, God gave us manna from heaven. I mean, fresh bread, fresh manna, baked and, and, and quail. Can you imagine what quail on toast costs these days? I mean, gave them manna and quail to eat in the wilderness. That's what those stones mean. Those stones mean we were thirsty and there's no water and we were going to die of thirst. And God gave us water out of a rock. Those stones over there mean we, we were being chased by Pharaoh and he was about to kill us. And the Red Sea was in front of us and Pharaoh's army is behind us. And we're trapped and all of a sudden God split the Red Sea and we went over on dry ground. And when Pharaoh chased us in and his army chased us in, God closed the sea on them and they all died. That's what those stones mean. Are you here? But now listen to what God says about all that. Those patriarchs set those posts, those stakes, those stones in particular places as a memorial, a reminder of what God did or God said at a particular place. In Genesis, uh, Abraham marked the place where he took Isaac up to sacrifice him. And Isaac said, uh, 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 Dad, We've been doing this a long time. I've been on lots of sacrifices with you, and I see you got the rope, and I see you got the fire, and I see you got the knife, and I see you got all the other stuff, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't see the lamb. I don't see the sacrifice. Of course, he's it. But Abraham didn't believe he is it. Abraham said this to him. He said, son, God will provide himself a ram. And so when that happened, when he raised the knife to plunge it into Isaac and the angel said, don't do that. Don't do that. And a, and a, and a ram bleated over in, the, you know, over in the bushes. And he went and got that ram and sacrificed it to God. When he walked away from that place, he named it what? Jehovah Jireh. And he left a memorial there and said, that, this place, when you get here, the, this is Jehovah. This is where God himself provides for himself. See, when you need some money, don't you go back to Genesis to the Jehovah Jireh story and say, God will provide for himself the money for this project. If you need something else, God will provide himself what needs to be done here. And so these patriarchs set those stones up. Joshua uh, chapter 4, let me read you a couple of verses. I won't read it all for time's sake. But uh, Joshua 4 and verse 3 uh, down to 6 says, uh, they, now they're about to cross the, red, the, the Jordan River. All right. Now this isn't the first time they're supposed to cross the Jordan. They're supposed to cross it 40 years ago. God led them out of Egypt. They came to the Jordan River. It doesn't take, doesn't take 40 years to get from, to, from Egypt to Israel. You can walk it yourself in a couple of weeks. So it didn't take them 40 years. It just took them a little while to get on over there. But when they got there, God said, all right, now go over the Jordan River and possess the land. And they wouldn't do it. Moses sent out 10, uh, 12 spies. 10 spies came back with a bad report and said, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report and said, we can do it. Let's do it. And uh, so because of that, they had to wander around in disobedience. Because of their disobedience, they had to wander around 40 years until everybody that was 20 years old and up died off, except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. And then 40 years later, they come right back to that same spot, except for Moses. Michael, can you imagine... Can you imagine being Moses? And you've done all this stuff, man. I mean, you know, you read the book about yourself. I mean, you've just done all this stuff. <laughs> and finally you get to the promised land, and you don't do it. 
So you wander for 40 years, and then you get back to the promised land, ready to do it, and God says, uh, hey, buddy, come up here with me. Let's go up here on the mountain and talk. He said, I'm not letting you go in the promised land because you sinned. You messed up. I told you to speak to that rock, and you didn't speak to it. You hit it. And you're not going in the promised land. But I'm going to let you see it. See it over there? That's it. That's what you could have had. That's what you could have had. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to personally kill you. And I'm going to personally bury you. Nobody's going to be at your funeral but me. And I'm going to bury you where nobody will ever find your body. That's Moses, man. Can you imagine? God saying, I'm going to personally kill you. And I'm going to personally bury you. And, and nobody will ever, ever, ever find your body. God was serious about this stuff. And so they, get to the, they, they go to get to the river. Forty years later, this here, 40 years ago. And so God says to Joshua, who's now the new leader, Moses is dead. And he said, all right, Joshua, now rise and go over this Jordan. So let me tell you something. If you're wondering what you're supposed to do next, you don't know what God wants you to do next. You're trying to hear from God and trying to figure out what he's trying to do, what, what he wants you to do next. Go back and see the last thing he told you to do and see if you did it or not. Because it may have been 40 years ago that God told you to do something, and you hadn't done it yet. So he's not going to give you something new to do. If you ask him, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? He's going to say, do uh, you remember what I told you to do? To do it. Are you all here? And so 40 years later, here we are, the same spot. Now arise, Joshua, and go over this Jordan. Moses is dead, now lead these people into the promised land. And here's what God said to him in chapter 4. He said, and command ye them, saying... Take you hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, stood firm. Take twelve stones, and you shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye these stones? Then you'll tell them about all these things that have been going on. Verse 7, And these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel for, what, two weeks? No, forever. Forever, forever, forever. These stones shall be a memorial forever. Verse 9, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight says this, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. See, we're going to have to go back. We talked to the men about this this week. The fathers in the faith. We're going to have to go back to our fathers in the faith and see what, what did the fathers tell us? What did the fathers teach us? And in today's age, we're, a lot of our fathers are dead. A lot of our fathers in the faith have gone on now. And uh, we're, we're in a generation gap in the church. I told the men this yesterday that for the first time in history, the church is, has stopped looking to the fathers because the old fathers have died off. And we're not looking to the next generation of fathers. Instead, we're now looking to the young lions because now there's a lot of young lions that are good guys that are on television and they're preaching and they're famous and, you know, and they, they, they dress cool and they talk cool and they look cool and they're rich and they got jets. And so everybody's looking to them and there's nothing wrong with young lions. I love young lions. I've been looking for young lions all my life and raising up young lions all over the world all my life. And if I didn't mention the name of some of them today that, that are my young lions, you, you know, they're, they're famous, but uh, uh, they're not fathers. They're not fathers. They'll be fathers one day. They keep growing and keep serving and keep doing. They'll be fathers one day. But right now, they're just young lions. 
Nothing wrong with young lions. I'm for young lions. It's just they're not fathers. And so when we put them in a father position and ask them a father question, they don't have the answer to that. And so we don't have that wisdom and stability in the church today that we used to have because we had our fathers giving us the wisdom and the stability. And today we're looking to young lions getting, getting goofy answers from, from guys who think it's a good idea at the time, but they're not yet fathers. They haven't gained that wisdom, that knowledge, that experience. So it says, remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. Proverbs 23.10, remove not the old landmark and enter not into the field of the fatherless. God doesn't want us to be fatherless. We need fathers in the faith. We need apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We, we need these people to look to and say, hey, hey, where, where did you get this from? You know, Michael, some people out today, like they just thought all this stuff up themselves. I was eating dinner with a bunch of pastors here two or three years ago, and I was about to go to this one pastor's church to preach, and he said this to me. He said, now, Brother Terry, when you come to my church, he said, don't mention any of the old guys. And I said, what? He said, don't mention any of the old guys. And I said, well, what old guys are you talking about? He said, well, you know, he said, don't mention old guys like Oral Roberts and, and Kenneth Hagin and Lester Summerall and Hilton Sutton. He said, you know, those guys are dead. They're gone. And he said, my church doesn't even know who those guys are. Don't talk about Smith Wigglesworth. Don't talk about John G. Lay. He said, all the guys I've heard you talk about when you preach, don't talk about the old guys. My church doesn't know who they are. And I said, shame on you. I said, if your church doesn't know who the old guys are, I said, that's your fault. That's not your church's fault. That's your fault. I said, what are you doing, preaching the old guys' messages and then taking credit for it? You preaching their sermons but not telling them where you got it? I said, well, what are you trying to be a big duck in a little pond where your people look at you and think you thought all this stuff up? How dangerous would that be? Yeah. See, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Yes. We stand on the shoulders of our fathers. We stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. That's right. The Bible tells us that we're built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Right. It, how terrible it would it be if we just... Decided, oh, no, I just thought, Ter Terry Myers thought this stuff up. Well, man, that's not worth it enough to get you a cup of coffee. But see, we can trace our heritage and say, oh, no, I know where we got this. I don't know how many times Renee and I quote the old guys on a daily basis. Steve and I have quoted the old guys. Michael and I have quoted the old guys this whole weekend. I mean, we hardly ever don't go a day without, without quoting John Osteen or quoting Brother Hagen or quoting... You know, Lester Summerall or quoting T.L. Osborne or quoting Oral Roberts or quoting, you know, Smith Wigglesworth or John G. Lay, one of these guys, because it's nice to know that we didn't just invent this stuff. We know, we know where it came from and we know how people made it work, so we know it'll work for us. Amen. You know, uh, we was talking last night about Mom and Dad Goodwin, J.R. and Carmen Goodwin. And uh, uh, Brother and Sister Goodwin were dear, dear, dear friends of mine, personal friends of mine. And uh, they were Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen's best friends. And when Brother Goodwin died, I flew, I'm a pilot, so I flew a bunch of us from Tulsa down to, down to the funeral. And Brother Hagen uh, did the, perform the funeral. And after he finished the funeral, I stayed in with the family. They asked me to stay in with the family. So there's just a few of us in there with the casket. And you know when a preacher preaches a funeral, then at the end he goes over and stands at the head of the casket and just stands there like this. And people come by and look at the casket or stand there and talk or whatever. Then they shake hands with the preacher and go on out. Well, Brother Hagen was doing that. He was just standing there at the head of the casket. And I walked over to him and looked up and shook his hand. And I said, Dad, said, you did a really good job. That was a great message you preached today. And when I did, he just fell over on me, Steve. Just fell on me. And, and, and I just caught him like this and he just blubbered and bawled and squalled like a, like a baby I mean just sit there and shook and he said Terry I've lost my best friend he said I've lost my best friend 
And he said, now there's not a, I have no one to talk to. There's not another person on this planet that understands me. I'm standing there like this, Vicky, thinking, what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> but see, they talked on a plane that other people didn't, didn't hook up on. Well, now, Brother and Sister Goodwin, if you want a little heritage, you have to look at Brother and Sister Goodwin. They're the ones, Steve, I don't know if you know this or not, they're the ones that got John Osteen filled with the Holy Ghost. That's right. That's they're the ones that taught Howard Carter the gifts of the Spirit. Wow. Now, Howard Carter's the one that wrote the book of the gifts of the Spirit, that when your pastor and me and everybody else want to know about the gifts of the Spirit, we go read Howard Carter's book. Yes. But Mom and Dad Goodwin taught Howard Carter the gifts of the Spirit. Wow. See, you see where the heritage goes to? I remember me and, TL, me and uh, Lester Summerall preaching a meeting in Portugal one time, the nation of Portugal. And uh, uh, I, I've never seen Brother Summerall look, look, the look on his face, I've never seen him look soft. He's always yeah. tough. Yeah. Man, he'd bend over and put his hands behind his back. <laughs> Bless God. I remember one time we was in a back room, in a green room in a church in California, I think it was, and, and a bunch of preachers back there, and Brother Summerall was about to preach that night, and this one pastor was trying to make nice talk to him, you know, and so he said, he said, oh, Dr. Summerall, he said, I'm so glad, you know, be here. He said, now my wife had been here. She sends her greetings, but, but she'd have been here, but she's tired, and uh, we just were in Hawaii, and, and, and then flew in, and we got, we got jet lag, you know, and, and jet lags, you know, just got her where she came. Well, in the first place, there's no jet lag from Hawaii to California. <laughs> Official jet, uh, official jet lag constitutes four-hour four hour time change. It's only two from California. But that's not the point. The, the point was he was trying to make this excuse for his wife being tired with jet lag. And Dr. Summerall said, jet lag from hell. Jet lag from hell. I never had jet lag. Not everyone have jet lag. What's wrong with your wife? Jet lag from hell. I've, I've never seen him soft, except one time we were preaching in Portugal. And, uh, and, and I forget if he preached or I preached that night, but after service, we were standing down over here on the front row, and we were talking to people. And a gentleman came up, Portuguese man came up about uh, the age of Brother Summerall, and uh, pulled out of his pocket a, a black and white photo and handed it to Lester. Lester took it and looked at it, and I'm looking at Lester, looking at his face while he's looking at this picture, and he just went totally soft. He just softened. His features just, and he tried to hand it to me. Well, I took it and looked at it, and all I'm seeing is a black and white picture that's taken back like in the 50s, you know, and it's just two young men and got their white shirts on and their slack, dress slacks on, you know. And he said, Lester said to me, Brother Summerall said to me, he said, he said, Terry, that's me and Howard Carter. And then that gentleman stood there and he said, yes, sir. He said, I personally took that picture of you and Brother Carter in whatever year it was. And y'all were on your way on a round-the-world trip and you preached here in Portugal. You know, I took this picture. But see, we, we've got a heritage. And what you need to understand about heritage, what you need to understand about, about revelation uh, that preachers are preaching is this. You need to remember this. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. If Jesus or Peter or Paul or John or James or somebody hadn't already preached it in this book, you don't want to hear it. And I'm constantly having, I'm sure you guys are too, having people come up to you and say, oh, you got to come hear this guy preach. He's preaching stuff nobody's ever preached before. I say, well, deliver me from that. <laughs> I'm not going to go hear him. If he's preaching stuff that Jesus didn't know about, if he's preaching stuff Paul didn't know about, if he's preaching stuff that's not in this book, Paul said, if, if we are an angel from heaven preaches you something that's not in this book, let us be accursed. That's 
I mean, he said an angel from heaven, not a bad angel, an angel from heaven. He said, if you hear us preach or an angel from heaven preach something that's not in this book, let them be accursed. See, we don't need somebody coming giving us new doctrine. Because if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. This missionary is not even looking for any new revelation. I've got a book full of old revelation that will keep me busy from now until Jesus comes. I'm working on this stuff. Amen? But if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, then how will you know if it's deceitful or not? If you move the stones that the Father set up, how will you know if it's real or not? If you move that post, Vicki, how are you going to know if it's real or not? And see what's happened for, for centuries. I talked to the men about this. Everybody understood that all through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament, everybody understood the church was in charge. The prophet of God was in charge. The man of God, the woman of God was in charge. It wasn't the king that was in charge. In fact, if you go back and read the Old Testament, it was the kings that put the, the it was the prophets that made the kings king. Yeah. It was the prophets that poured the oil over some guy's head and said, okay, you're the king. Yeah. Right? And it was the prophets that told the king how to run the country. But, and we even knew that in the United States up until about 15, 20 years ago. You know, all the old movies we used to see, all the old black and white movies about court cases, famous court cases. You had the judge quoting scripture. You had the law, both lawyers quoting scriptures. Yep. Why? Because how are you going to know truth if you don't know the Bible? That's why all the courthouses in America have, have scriptures on them and have the Ten Commandments on them. Because, because how can you know truth? When Harvard was started, when Yale was started, when Stanford was started, when all those schools were started back in the day, they were all theological seminaries. They were all Bible schools because the law was in America, you can't be, you cannot be an attorney without having first gone to theological seminary and learned the Bible. You cannot be a judge. You cannot be a judge in America back in those days without having gone to theological seminary and learned the Bible because how in the world could you divine truth? If you don't know the truth, how would you know truth? That was just the way it was. That was the law. In fact, our, our preachers back in that day, back in the, I mean back when we won our independence from England, we, those preachers wore black robes in those days. And King George in England was said he was more afraid of the preachers than he was the army. And he called the preachers the black-robed regiment. You go look up black-robed regiment. King George was more afraid of the black-robed regiment than he was of the army. But what we've done today, our administration today is working really hard to get all God out of the country and all God out of the church and don't let preachers talk about elections, don't let preachers talk about, talk about uh, politics and used to that's where all the elections happened and where all the politics happened was in the church. Those preachers in the colonial days would walk in with their black robe on, preach the message, take their black robe off, and underneath it's their military uniform, and they'd pick up their gun and say, okay, I'm going to fight. Who's going with me? I mean, every man in the church would follow him out. See, that's how the church affected people's lives. The church ran the nation. The men of God, the women of God ran the nation. But we've been on a big move to get rid of that. We want the Christians to be quiet. We want the preachers to be quiet. We don't mind if Leno and Letterman and Kimmel and Colbert and all those guys get on TV every night of the world and tell you who to vote for. But don't you let a pastor do it. Mike, don't you stand in your pulpit and tell people who to vote for. We'll we'll take your your tax exemption status away from you. So what? 
Mr. Trump just said something here. See, this isn't a political commercial, but I, I thought he's the first politician that's ever, ever said this. He said, if I get to be president, I'll eliminate the Johnson, the Johnson Amendment and let pastors stand up in their pulpit and tell people the truth about voting and about elections. Wow. Actually, actually give the church a voice again. But see, the church is going to have to have a voice whether, whether, whether the government likes it or not. Because we're not here to please Washington. We're not here to please Hollywood. We're here to please Jesus. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? But what's happened throughout the last, last 30, 40 years or so, what's happened is uh, we, we've decided, uh, Vicki, to move the post. We've decided, hey, the post is here, but, but let's, let's, move the post, let's move the post right here. Because after all, the church needs to be relevant. That's the most dangerous word in the church today. Don't anybody come up to me after service and talk to me about the church being relevant. That's a, that's a dirty word as far as I'm concerned. The church has always been relevant. God's always been relevant. Oh, but yeah, if you're going to reach, you're going to reach the, see the young people telling the, telling the pastor, hey, if you're going to reach the young people now, you're going to have to get relevant. No, no. Brother Osteen used to always say this. John Osteen used to always make this statement. He'd say, you know, he said, if you're doing something that's rubbing the cat's fur the wrong way, he said, let the cat turn around. <laughs> I've heard him say that probably 10,000 times. The cat doesn't like the way you're rubbing her. Let the cat turn around. You don't need to change the way you're rubbing. So if they want you to get the church relevant so you'll fit in, you need to tell, you need to tell that cat to turn around. Because God's always been relevant. The church has always been relevant. The church has been the most relevant thing on the planet. Amen. The church is the only entity equipped to handle demon spirits. The church is the only entity prepared and equipped to handle terrorism. Because terrorism is a spirit. And we're the only ones that can handle spirits. Are y'all here? Remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Isaiah 33, 20. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed. See, miracles have no basis. And faith has no basis without a foundation. You've got to have your faith anchored to something. You've got to have some, something to anchor your belief to if you're expecting a miracle. If you're wanting God to heal you and wanting a miracle, then you need, you need to give God some reason why you believe that. You've got to be able to say, right here, Lord, you said right here. That's where my faith is anchored to. That's where my post is. And you said, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. You said none of the diseases of Egypt would come upon me. You said uh, that he paid for my healing with his blood. You said, you said, you said, you said. And that's where my faith is. That's the post. That's the anchor. That's the, the stones. That's the stake. And I'm not moving it. You don't just go out here and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm believing you for a miracle because I'm a nice guy. I'm believing for a miracle because I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat. I'm believing for, for a miracle because I, you know, because I, whatever. No, there's no basis for your faith to work. There's no basis for a miracle to happen unless you can point back to an anchor, a stone, a post. What did Jesus do when Satan came to tempt him three times? Jesus was hungry, man. He'd been out there for 40 days with nothing to eat. And the, and the devil came to him and said, hey, you're the son of God and you're hungry, man. Why don't you just turn these stones into bread? 
And Jesus immediately went to the anchor, went to the post, and said, No, it is written. I'll tell you why I don't do it, because it's written. Man shall not live by bread alone. You know, he didn't even entertain that. He didn't say, Well, you know, I am the Son of God, and I, you know, I am hungry, and I could do that. No, he immediately went to the post. Immediately went to the anchor, immediately went to the stakes, immediately went to the stones and said, no, no, right here, right here it says, I mean, he beat the devil with, with three little scriptures out of Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. Who'd think you could even do that? The devil takes him up on the high pinnacle and says, jump off of here. Because after all, God will give you angels charged to hold you up, to lift you up. And Jesus immediately went back to the anchor, to the post. He said, no, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. See, you don't have to think about it when you're anchored. I've got a series up there called, called the, the, the Faith Anchor. You know, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to even think about it. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to stop and say, well, should I or should I not? No, you just say, no, it's written. Yeah. It's written. Then he said, well, why don't you bow down and worship me? Because I, and I'll give you all this stuff. They're mine to give. And Jesus immediately said, no, it is written. There's the post. Thou shalt serve the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou serve. And the devil left him. The Bible said he left him for a better time. I guess he never found one. He never did come back. Isn't that right? Miracles have no basis, no foundation. Faith has no basis, no foundation without a post, a measuring point from which every, from which everything's built on from that point. But over the years, we've said, well, if we're going to be relevant, if we're going to reach the young people, if we're going to reach the... Generation X, we're going to reach the, used to, we're going to reach the baby boomers. It was, we're going to reach Generation X, now we're going to reach the millennials. Well, God's never changed. God's never changed. We ought to get some Holy Ghost power back in the church. That'll reach them. But all, they said, well, let's just, let's move the post just a little bit. Pastor, if we move it just a little bit, we'll be relevant. It's not too far. I mean, here's the post, and we'll just move it here. But then a few years goes by, so you know what, if we'd, if we'd move it right here. Well, you know what, if we, if we move it, maybe we better move it here. Well, this new generation doesn't like that. What, we, need to, we need to move it here. And pretty soon, you're so far away from the post that you don't know what's right anymore. There's no black and white anymore. It's just all grayed out in a gray area. And it's kind of like, where, where was the post? What did God say? You know, communism and socialism is something this missionary has had to deal with for all my life. I go to communist countries. I go to socialist countries. And I know that they don't work. History knows that they don't work. History's proven they don't work. All the people that live in those countries that are gray-headed, they've been there, done that, know it doesn't work. People died to get out of those situations. But now we've gone by a bunch of years. The wall fell way back there in the 80s, and now we've gone on down the road here. And so now young people are saying, even in America, well, what's wrong with communism? They are. Yeah, they are. Well, what's wrong with socialism? Yeah. Some people got the feeling to burn, you know, with Bernie Sanders. He said, we're going to be socialists, and, and everything's going to be free. All you kids can just have everything free. Well, we all, we all know there's no such thing as free. Somebody's going to pay for it. Are you all here? But my point is, come go with me to a socialist country. 
I'll show you it doesn't work. Come go with me to a communist country. They're dying to get out of the communist country. They're still dying to get out of North Korea, still dying to get out of China, still dying to get out of Cuba, still dying to get out of communism. And yet, even in, even in Ukraine and Russia now, the, teen, the young people are saying, well, oh, Grandma, Grandpa, what, what's really wrong with communism? It can't be so bad. I had Renee with me in, in, uh, in Romania this year, and I introduced her to a bunch of pastors I've dealt with, I've preached to for years and years and years. And, and, and I'd say to her, I said, see that guy over there? They raped his wife and daughter in front of him. The secret police raped his wife and daughter in front of his face because he was preaching the gospel. Right. See that guy over there? When, you, when I introduce you to him, look at his fingers. They've taken him to the secret police station over and over and over, put his fingers in the door jam and shut the door on his fingers saying, where are the Bibles? Where are the, where's, the, where's the secret meetings held tonight? Where's the church meeting tonight? See that guy over there? If he'd take his shirt off, he's burned. He's burned all over his body because the secret police, uh, secret policeman one day found out where the church was going to be meeting, and he snuck in there in the daytime and, and, and emptied all the kerosene out of the kerosene lamps and filled them all with gasoline. So when the pastor went in there that night and lit the, lit the gasoline lamp, it blew up all over him. And, and See that guy over there? They, they took his pregnant wife and beat her in the belly in front of him until she miscarried. I mean, I introduced her to these people. See, these are real people. And you ask them, well, what's wrong with socialism? What's wrong with communism? Well, they could tell you all day long what's wrong with it. Venezuela right now is absolutely falling apart. It's oil rich. It's one of the richest nations in the world with oil, and it's falling apart. People are starving, rioting in the streets. Because Hugo Chavez, who is who's Fidel Castro's number one friend, he's dead now. But, but, uh, but, but Hugo Chavez made it a socialist nation, and socialism doesn't work. Are you preaching politics? No, no, no. I'm preaching the post is moved. And in America now we're trying to move the post. Instead of saying we're the land of the free and the home of the brave where we, we fought and died for freedom, we came for religious freedom, we came, we came to express our belief in God. Now we're saying eh, let's kind of move God out of this and let's be socialist. Let's be communist. Let's, be, let's, let's, let's not be so, let, let's, not, you know, let, let's not hang on to our guns and our Bibles anymore. See, we're moving the post and moving the post and moving the post. You know, as an American, my post is a constitution in the Declaration of Independence. Bill of Rights. As, my, as a Christian, my post is the Bible. And of course, if, I have to, if one contradicts the other, then I have to go with the Bible. But they don't contradict each other. If you go back to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the, and the, and the uh, Declaration of Independence, yeah. they don't contradict this because yeah. those were written out of here. Yeah. Fifty-eight of the signers of, of our founding fathers' Declaration of Independence signers, uh, uh, out of the fifty-eight, uh, oh, uh, thirty what? Thirty-eight of them were ministers. You know, had gone to theological seminary, knew the Bible. You know, they tell you, well, no, but Washington was a deist, and Thomas Jefferson a deist. No, they weren't. They were Christians. Talked about God all the time. Talked about Jesus all the time. Are, are y'all here? But see, they've moved the post. George Washington's most famous speech, his farewell speech to the army, is, is absolutely full of Scripture and talking about God and talking about this nation being under God. But, but about 15 years ago, uh, Washington started changing that, started rewriting the speech. And now, now when our college kids now, when you go to college now, you pull up Washington's farewell to the troops, all that's been deleted. It's not there anymore. 
And so our college kids don't know the difference. They think this is what Washington said. No, that's not what he said at all. What they do, they move the post. God said, you don't move those ancient landmarks. You don't move the post your fathers have set. You honor what your fathers have done. You go back to what your fathers said. Are, are y'all with me? You get anything out of all this? See, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2.20, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. See, there's the stone again. God talks a lot about stones in the Bible. He says he was the chief cornerstone. He was the rock of ages. He was the rock of offense. Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. Right? Are y'all with me? All of my ministry life, and I'm sure Steve, you, and, and Mike, you, and Vicki, I'm sure it's happened to you. All my ministry life, people come to me and say, Brother Terry, t- tell us about the Antichrist. Is he here? Is he alive? You think he lives in the States? You think he lives in Germany? You think he lives in Russia? Where, where's the, where's, tell us about the Antichrist. And I always tell them this. For years I've told them this. Don't, you're asking the wrong question. The question you should be, you shouldn't be watching for the Antichrist. What you should be watching for is the great falling away. That's the sign, the great falling away, or the apostasy, the, the apostasy. Now, where'd the word apostasy come from? It, the Catholic Church started it. It's not even one of those ancient words. It, it, it's, it doesn't come from Greek and Latin and all that. It's, it came, the Catholic Church invented it for people who left the church because it means apostasy, apostasy. You're standing away from the post. You've left the post. You've moved the post. The post is way over there, and you, you, you are an apostate, an apostate. You, you've left the post. So what we should be looking for in the church is not the Antichrist. We should be looking for the great apostasy, because when you see the great apostasy, God said, then you know the Antichrist is here. And here's what the Scripture says about that. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. Except there come first a falling away, and that man of sin, the Antichrist, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So what we need to look for is the church moving the post. And that day's here. That day's here. We're moving the post. Paul said in the last days the church would be in perilous times. Now, Now Paul was an old apostle. Timothy was a very young pastor who became pastor of a mega church. And so we have all these letters to Timothy, all these advice to Timothy from this old apostle to the young pastor on how you run the church. All right? In fact, if you're a young minister going to ministry, you ought, you ought to just spend your time in 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. That's about, that's about young ministers, how to get in the ministry and how to operate in the ministry. And Paul told Timothy and Titus, here's how you run the church. Here's how you run the ministry. And so Paul warned him. Paul was very concerned about this. And he said... Uh, he said, Timothy, uh, perilous times are coming. Perilous times are coming. He said in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers, have an itch in ears, and they shall turn their ears away from the truth and be turned to fables. And he was addressing the church. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. He said they'll be turned to fables. Now, what, what, what's wrong with the fable? Fables are nice, and fables are sweet. We, we were all raised on fables. We raised our kids on fables. Fables is a, is a story, usually using a barnyard animal, 
You know, Papa Bear, Mama Bear, Baby Bear. <laughs> right? You know, you know, Chicken Little, here's a chicken. Here's, here's a bear, here's a fox, here's a wolf. You know, they're, 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 they're stories with, with barnyard animals that give you a moral story. And, and so our parents tell us these stories, and they have a moral to them that Goldilocks shouldn't have broke in those bears' house, and she shouldn't have ate their porridge, and she shouldn't have sat in her chair, and she shouldn't have slept in her bed. <laughs> See, that's a fable with a moral. There's nothing wrong with them. They're good. But what is wrong with them? What's wrong with them is they're not the truth. They're just stories about the truth. See, Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. In Timothy, or Paul said to Timothy, they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn to fables. Turn to fables. And we've got to watch that. We've got to watch out that we're not leaving the truth. That we're not apostates leaving the post. Y'all still with me? It's getting close to noon. You, you still here? Almost 30 things he said the church would be doing. 2 Timothy 3, he says, This know also in the last days perilous times shall come. Now listen to some of the things he said will happen in, in, in the last days. You'll know if these are the last days or not. Men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. You ever heard such vile, filthy language in all your life? Blasphemers. Here's one. Disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unthankful. We've got a whole generation that has no gratitude, no thankfulness whatsoever. Feel like they're entitled to everything. Even, even, even Uncle Bernie's going to give us free college. We're entitled to it. Are y'all here? Unthankful. unholy without natural affection truce breakers truce breakers people don't keep their word anymore you know you know i've always known all my missionary life i've always known in any country of the world that if i can find an old gray-headed guy that if i can go to him and get him to look me in the eye and shake my hand on a deal i know it's done we don't need a contract with, with 37 lawyers. We don't need, if, he'll, if he'll look me in the eye, shake my hand, then I know it's done because he's not a truce breaker. When I was a little boy, my granddad, my granddad would just take an old brown paper bag and he'd just rip a little, little piece of it off and he'd just scribble his initials on it, J.W. Briscoe. And he'd hand it to me and he'd say, take this off down there to that auto parts store and tell him I need, you know, pick up a, some auto parts or take this down to this store and pick up this because just give him that. I didn't even take any money with me or anything. I just took a piece of torn off paper bag with his initials scratched on it, and it was good as gold because he's not going to break his word. See? Today we get lawyers and get contracts and, 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 and fill them full of loopholes and then go through those contracts to find the loophole just so how we know we can break this truce. How can we break this? How can we break this? And that's what, that's what he said is going to happen in the last days. He said there'll be incontinent... There'll be false accusers, goodness. They'll be fierce. Do you notice how, the, how people are fierce today about, against church? I mean, you say something nice about the church or about something, some, some nice, you know, man, they just, they just want to fight you. 
They tell us we're intolerant, and yet they're the most intolerant people there are. It says they're fierce. It says they're despisers of those that are good. Well, they just despise you. Are y'all here? Despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. He said, from such, Timothy, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Job 24, 2. Some remove the ancient landmarks, and they violently take away the flocks and the feed thereof. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Proverbs 27, 10. I've raised my kids on this scripture. I know a few other preachers have raised their kids on it. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Don't forget your father's friends. So I've told my kids all their lives, I said, listen, you, you always honor my friends. You need to know who my friends are, and you need to honor them. And if, and if I'm ever gone and you need something, you call one of them and say, hey, I'm Terry Mises' boy. Hey, I'm Terry Mises' girl. You don't forget your father's friend. I've got pastors all over this world. I mean foreign countries around the world. That, that if their kids call me and say, hey, I'm so-and-so's boy, I'm so, they, they've got my attention and they've got my help. I used to have a friend in Mexico. He's dead now, a pastor in Mexico. that I started working with him, oh, I don't know, 35 years ago. And, and, and in 30 years, he, he built 30 churches. And, uh, and he had four little kids. Well, those four little kids, Vicky, weren't my friends. They were his kids. See? But over the years, they grew up. My kids grew up. And now those kids are all adults. They're all in their mid-40s now. And they're running those 30 churches. And their father died. As soon as he died, they turned to me. And they tell me all the time, you're our father's friend. You were our father's best friend. You were our father's friend. Tell us what to do. Tell us what we need to do in the ministry. Tell us, help us with, with all this. And see, so now they're my friends. And they've got little kids that aren't my friends. But those little kids are growing, and they'll be my friends. Isn't that right? You don't forget your father's friends. Hello. It can, it can get you way down the road if you'll remember your father's friends. Psalm 78, I, I, I quoted this. I didn't read it, but I quoted it to the guys yesterday. Psalm 78 in the Amplified Bible says that he established a testimony and expressed precept. This is verse 5 through 7. He established a testimony of an express precept in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, commanding our fathers that they should make the great facts of God's dealing with Israel known to their children, that in the generation to come might know them, that the children still to be born might arise and recount them to their children. He's talking about your, your grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids that hadn't even been born yet have to be told these things of God. Amen? Because how else will they know where the post is? Otherwise, they'll be apostates. They won't know the difference. They won't even know that they are. Because somebody's got to point them back to the post. And it says this. It says um, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Psalm 78, verse 9. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. 
And here they were. They were an army. They had their shields and their swords and their spears and their bows. They were going out to fight. But they turned away in battle and ran because their parents, their fathers, had not taught them the great facts of God's dealing with Israel. And it said this. It says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God, verse 41, and limited the Holy One of Israel. My dear friend T.L. Osborne, he's one of the old guys, you know, told me, told me years and years, decades ago. He said, he said, Terry, he said, that's the biggest sin in the Bible, that they, 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 they limited God, and they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Verse 57, but they turned back and they dealt unfaithfully like their fathers, which were turned aside like a deceitful bow. You know, like a bow and arrow, an archer. And the Amplified said it this way, They were twisted like a warped and deceitful bow that will not respond to the archer's aim. You know, I'm a bow hunter. I don't know if any of you guys or girls are bow hunters, you know, but uh, I can't imagine being out there, you know, and have a warped bow that you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't aim. It won't respond to the archer's aim. Again, as a Christian, my post is the Bible. It's unfailing, unerring, infallible. As an American, my post is the Constitution of the United States of America. Those documents tell us what to do, how to do, and where to go. And see, the Supreme Court can't change that. They do from time to time, but they're not allowed to. They can't change that. The Supreme Court can't make laws. They do every now and then, but constitutionally, they're, they're not allowed to make laws. But they move the post. And the country gets deceived. Then every now and then somebody will wake up and say, hey, wait, you can't do that. So we go back to the post again. That's happened throughout history. Let me, feelings can't change that. Well, I don't think we all do that anymore. Well, it doesn't matter how you feel. That's the post. See, you don't get a vote or an opinion on the post. Christians don't like it when I say this sometimes. But I say, you know, as a Christian, you don't get a vote and you don't get an opinion on the things of God. God just said, there it is. And you say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. But I think, God doesn't care what you think. But I want, doesn't matter what you want. Yeah, but I wish, it doesn't matter. Here's what the post says. You either go back to the post or you're an apostate. You're falling away. Are, are y'all with me? See, let me, give you, let me give you an example of the, of the, of the Constitution Post. When, when our forefathers, when our founding fathers, signers of the Declaration of Independence, drafted that document, they said this. They said, all men, A-W-L, all men are created equal. Right? Long time ago, back in 1776, they said that. All men are created equal. Well, the country didn't live that. And so in 1857... The Supreme Court said, you know what, we don't even believe that. And so they passed a law called Dred Scott. Now Dred Scott says black people are not people. Can you imagine? Now what did the Post say? All men are created equal. What did the Supreme Court say? Black people are not people. Because they're not people, they cannot own property. Because they're not people, they cannot vote. Well, that's ungodly. That's, 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 the Post says all men are created equal, and the Supreme Court went over here and said, no, we're moving the Post. Black people aren't people. They can't vote. They can't have property. Are y'all here? But that was wrong. Right. Doesn't matter if the Supreme Court says it. Doesn't matter who says it. The Post says 
All men are created equal. So what happened? We fought a war over it. We fought a war over it and, and half a million people died. Half a million people died to move that post back where it was. And so President Abraham Lincoln then stood up and said, issued what's called the, Emancipa the Emancipation Proclamation and declared slavery was no more and that black people are people and have all the rights anybody else does because the post says all men are created equal. Now, the country still didn't live that right. We've still had lots of problems over that. And Dr. Martin Luther King back in the 60s uh, did so much to, to change it. I remember I was like 13 years old. I followed Dr. King and watched what he did and remembered those marches and watched those marches. And in fact, I've got a lot of <laughs> some really, I preach in gobs of black churches. got lots of black partners and friends. And I've had some I really close black friends say, Terry, if you had been old enough back in the 60s, you'd have been one of those guys that went to Mississippi and got all the black people registered to vote and got killed. I said, well, I don't know if I'd have got killed or not, but I'd have, I'd have, that's, what I, that's what I'd have done. But, uh, but so, so, so then that post got moved back and said, okay, now this thing's back where it's supposed to be. Now, people still aren't living it. And even today, don't you kid yourself, racism hadn't gone away. It's still the same devil it always was. It's an evil, demonic devil from hell. But it hasn't gone away. It's just gone underground because it's not politically correct and popular anymore. But it's still here. But we can always go back to the post and say, no, the post says all men are created equal. All men. Doesn't matter what the, what the president says. Doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. Doesn't matter what the Republicans say. Doesn't matter what the Democrats say. It doesn't matter. No, the post says. Are, are y'all here? See, in, in 1971, Jackie and I had our first baby. And... Uh, I was in the military, I was in the Army, and he was born in the Army Hospital, and they handed me that little baby and said, congratulations, you're a father. Well, we didn't have a choice about having that baby. You know, we're married, we get pregnant, we have a baby, that's the way it is. But just two years, three years later, January of 1973, and that was August of 71, Lynn was born, but in January 1973, the Supreme Court, those black-robed justice, I should say injustices, of the United States Supreme Court moved the post. And they passed a law called Roe versus Wade that it's okay to murder babies. Now, we couldn't murder Lynn. We had to have him. We had to keep him. But in 1974, we had Paul David. Now, we could have murdered him, and it would have been okay. We didn't, but we could have. And it'd been all right because the post was moved. and said, no, you can murder a baby. It's okay. It's okay to murder babies. So since that time, we, we murder 1.2 million babies a year in America. It's up to, what, 60-something million. million now, 60 million now. now. Now, the Bible says, the post says, the blood speaks and cries from the ground to God. Now, if that's all true, and we know the Bible is true, then there's 60 million Babies we've slaughtered, that's their blood's crying to God, and he's going to have to deal with that. That's bigger than my brain can handle. He's going to have to deal with all that. But see, that post has been moved. Now, we've been fighting over moving it back for years. And the consensus is that it'll probably never get moved back because just too many people want to murder babies. They want to have their own, their own way and do their own thing and be selfish and be blah, 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 blah. And so we say, well, no, it's a woman's choice. Well, no, it's not. We go back to the post. We go back to the post. Yeah, but it's my body. Well, that's not what the post says. 
Paul said, in fact, I can hear him, I can hear the tone of his voice when he says it. Paul said, what? Know ye not? Your bodies are not your own. You don't belong to you. You're bought with a price. You belong to God. That's what, that's what the post says. See, we want to say, no, I can do as I please. No, you can't. I mean, obviously you can. You go to hell if you want to. But, but if you want to get God on your side, you can't do as you please. You've got to go back to the post. See, the, 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 the Supreme Court and the president doesn't always get it right. You remember those black-robed injustices aren't even elected officials. They're just a bunch of lawyers that a president appointed. In fact, we're facing a serious situation on this election now that, that, that the next president is going to appoint at least three justices, if not four or five, but at least three. They could change the post forever in America. Could take the post and absolutely do away with it. Including the Second Amendment. I mean, I'm a Texan. I like my guns. You know? But the Second Amendment guarantees me the post says I can carry my guns. That's what the post says. Like it or lump it, that's what the post says. Well, I don't think it says that. Well, but it does. That's what the post says. See? But what President Obama wants to do and what, and what the, the, the Hillary wants to do is take our guns away. Well, what does that mean? It means they want to move the post. See, so it's not really about guns. It's, about, it's not really about murdering babies. It's about they don't care what the post says. It makes no difference what the post says. Well, they don't care about this post. Neither do they care about that post. Now, a couple of years ago, the Supreme Court and the president moved the post again. And they said, okay, let's have, let's have same-sex marriage. And so they moved the post. The Supreme Court actually passed a law, which they can't do. It's illegal, but they did. And they said, okay, we're moving the post. And in church, we're trying to move the post. And we're trying to say, well, you know, it's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. I told the guys in, in, in the conference this week, I said, you can't live like a pig and be blessed like a sheep. But that's what people want to do. They want to live like a pig and be blessed by a sheep. But see, it doesn't matter. The church can't move the post. The church can't just say, hey, we don't like that post anymore. We're going to move it. The Supreme Court can't move it. The president can't move it. Nobody can move the post. And we're going to have to always understand what God said about don't move the post. You know, in New York City about four weeks ago now, y'all probably saw this on the news, New York City passed a law that there are now 31 Sexual genders. Is that 31? It's like Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors. <laughs> now, 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 the Post says there's two. The Post says God created male and female, male and female created he them. And those are actually two of the 31. If you read them, go, go Google it. You don't believe me, Google it. Google sexual genders uh, in New York City. And, and they passed a law that there's 31 genders. And you, you can read all 31 of them. Some of them, are the, some of them are words I don't even understand. But one of them is man, I understand that one. And one of them is woman, I understand that one. But there's 29 more besides that. They even have little stick figures to show you, uh, you, know, you know, like little stick figures that are on the bathroom walls. You know, they even show you that a guy can be blue and a lady can be pink. And then the guy can be blue with a pink head. lady can be pink with a, with a right hand or, or a blue foot or, you know, a pink leg. It's just crazy. 31, 31 genders. But see, the post says there's two. I mean, they got people confused about what bathroom to go to. If y'all come over here and stand today, I'll look at you and just say, okay, 
I'll tell you which bathroom to go to. It's not, it's not hard. It's not hard. I told the guys this week, I said, there's no such thing as, as old terrorists. You know, the old guys sit back and don't put their lives in danger, and they send the young kids out. They're even sending babies out, and little bitty kids now with suicide vests, and say, go over there with those people. Go over there in that wedding party. Go over there with that, that and then they blow themselves up. Well, Francis Bacon made a quote. I'll give you this quote, and I think it's a powerful, powerful quote. Francis Bacon said this about the difference between young men and, and old men. Now, there's an Israeli proverb that says, if you don't have an old man, buy one. See, the Bible says wisdom of years should speak and gray hair should utter knowledge. Here's what Francis Bacon said. He said, young men are fitter to invent than they are to judge. Better let a young man invent stuff than it is to make him a judge. Fitter for execution or doing the work than for counsel. You don't need a young man counseling. You, you need somebody with some, that's been, been around for a while. And fitter for new projects than for settled business. So you get a young guy on a new project, man, he's got the vim and the vigor and the gusto and the go. But now for settled business, you need somebody that can run the business. Now, that's not the Bible. That's a guy named Francis Bacon. But it's pretty good. If you don't have an old man, the Israeli proverb says, buy one. The point today is, is Psalms 11.3. If the foundations be destroyed... What can the righteous do? Let me give you three real, real quick examples in my own ministry. And I won't go into the detail of it because it, it, it would make it longer. But I'll just give you some, some real key things here. Um, President Castro, Fidel, took over Cuba in January the 1st, 1959. When he did, he declared, there is no more Christmas. Christmas doesn't exist. Christmas is not a holy day. Christmas is not a holiday. December 25th is just another day. You'll work in the sugarcane fields at that day like you do every other day. You don't get the day off. There'll be no Christmas singing songs. There'll be no Christmas trees. There'll be no Christmas lights. There'll be no celebrations. It doesn't exist, and you're forbidden to say Merry Christmas. Well, that's what they're telling us in our own country, by the way. But that's what Fidel Castro said back in 1959. So for 45 years, Cuba had no Christmas. 45 years. What did he do? He moved the post. He moved the post. So for 45 years, Silent Night was silent. Okay? But in 2003, and I've been ministering in Cuba for about 15 years at that time, and uh, in 2003, I happened to be in a government official's office talking to him. Now, there's, there's 13 men that run Cuba. There's Fidel and Raul Castro, and then there's 11 more. And I know several of those guys. I've ministered there, like I said, for a long time, and I know several of those guys. And so I was in one of their offices, one gentleman's office, in the spring of 2004. And I just said to him, I said, hey, uh, sir, uh, called him by name. And I said, how about I bring you, at Christmas time, I bring you a Christmas tree. It'll be 40 feet tall, and we'll decorate it with lights, and we'll sing Christmas carols, and we'll bless this nation with Christmas again, and, and it'll be a gift from the Christians in the United States to the people of Cuba. He said, oh, no, oh, no, Dr. Myers, we can't do that. No, 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 no. I said, oh, come on, let's do it. Now, now I know you ladies, I know Vicki's a great cook, but some of you ladies that are cooks or guys that are cooks, y'all know how to cook pasta, right? This isn't a joke. Everybody knows how to cook pasta. How do you tell if pasta's done? Throw it against the wall. 
You take your pasta, you throw it against the wall. If it sticks, it's done, right? If it slides down the wall, it's not done. Well, all over the world as a missionary, that's what I do. I just throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. And, 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 and most of the time stuff doesn't stick, and sometimes stuff sticks. And so I was, that's what I was doing, Steve, in his office. I said, hey, let's uh, get a Christmas tree and bring it over here. And let's have Christmas. He said, oh, no, Dr. Myers, we can't do that. We can't do that. I said, come on, come on. He said, no, no, I, come on, go. no, 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 final, no. So I just watched it go. Well, I came back home, and uh, Vicky and Mike can tell you that same year I buried, I buried a son. He, that, that was the spring. And then in June, Paul got killed in a car wreck. And so, frankly, I forgot there was a Cuba and, and could care less about it. And I, didn't, and, I, and I was dreading Christmas. Man, I was dreading Christmas. I don't want to have Christmas without Paul. What are we going to do? So I said to Jackie, I said, let's, let's don't even stay home for Christmas like we always do. I said, let's just let's do something weird. Let's do something different. Let's take all the kids and all the grandkids and go to Florida and go to Disneyland and go to the beach and, and blah, blah, blah. So, and, and just act like there's not a Christmas. So they, they all say, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. So we take off for Florida. And on the 1st of December, I get this email from this Cuban official, this gentleman I was talking to. And he said, Dr. Mize, if your offer of the Christmas tree still is good, we'd like to have it. And, we'd like, and we would like for you to personally bring it. And we'd like for you to decorate it and set it up in St. Francis of the Assisi Square on the Malecon, on the waterfront. And we would like you to have a Christmas tree lighting ceremony, which we'll send the TV station. Now, they don't have one station in the whole country. We'll, send, we'll film it for the TV station so the whole nation will see it. And then we want you, and, and tell us, this is what he said, and tell us the Christmas story. Now, Vicki, I'm thinking, does he know what the Christmas story is? Because <laughs> President Castro in 1963 had declared Cuba a communist state and an atheist state. Communists are atheists. God doesn't exist. And then Castro says, Christmas doesn't exist. And then this guy's saying, tell us the Christmas story. So, man, I got on the Internet. I couldn't, I couldn't send a tree from the States because of the embargo President Kennedy put on back in 1963. But I got on the Internet to Canada, found a Christmas tree farm, talked to the owner, and said, uh, hey, I need, to know, I need to buy a tree from you, and, uh, and, 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 and so on and so forth. And, uh, can, you, can you do that? And I said, I know Air Havana flies every day, and I know, I know Air Canada flies every day to Havana, so I want to fly it to Cuba. And he said, well, I can do that, but i got to have permission from the government of Cuba. And I said, well, I can get that. That's not a problem. I just need, you, I just need to know you can do it and get there by. They want it December 10th. And uh, so, uh, so we did all that. We flew that thing in, and uh, I had ordered decorations, and, and I ordered red bows for the blood of Jesus I wanted to talk about. I ordered a star for the top for obvious reasons I wanted to talk about. And I, we went in there, and, and then he said this in his telegram, in, in, I mean his email, at the very end. He said, and we want you to be the first American in 45 years to go into a government building with government permission and hold a church service. Now, don't take me wrong. Lots of Americans have preached in Cuba, including me, but never in a government building with government permission. And so he said, we want you to be the first American in 45 years to go into a government building and have a church service with government permission. And so we did. We went over there and did it. And it was marvelous and wonderful. Yeah, y'all gave into it. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys partnered with us for years. And you guys helped me send that Christmas tree, bring that Christmas tree to Cuba. 
And then, and so we did it. Well, in the spring then of 2005, I was back there and I was walking down the street in Old Havana and, and they were having a ceremony over dedicating a new building and cutting the ribbon on it. And my son Lynn looked over there and he said, Dad, isn't that Mr. So-and-so? And he called the guy by name that I had been talking to in his office. And I said, yeah, that is him. So we walked over and when he saw me, he said, Dr. Mize, it's so good to see you. And it's all in Spanish. And he said, are you going to bring us a Christmas tree again this year? And I said, well, con su permiso, with your permission. And he said, well, of course. And so in 2005, we did it again. So we did it in 2004, did it in 2005. Now, we've never had to do it again because from that point, they started celebrating Christmas. And if you go to Cuba now at Christmas, you'll see Christmas trees, Christmas lights. You'll hear Christmas, you'll hear Christmas carols being sung. Those pastors came to me that first year later in the spring. They came with tears running down their face. And they said, we saw it on TV. Brother Terry said, said, we hadn't heard those songs since we were children. And our children have never heard those songs. And we were singing Christmas carols. But now, what, what did we do? We moved the post back. Yeah, we moved the post back. We moved the post back. 2003, I was in the, in, in the country of Haiti. And uh, uh, to pre to preaching to pastors. I'm going to tell this real short now because I, I want to get a point across to you. And President Aristide was the president. He was an evil guy, a mean guy. And he had his thugs attacking the church all the time and attacking preachers. And in fact, two weeks before I got there, they murdered two preachers in the very bed I slept in, in the very house I stayed in. Came in and murdered two preachers. And so I went there and took, took my two, two sons and son-in-law. And uh, they shot at us while we were there. I mean, it was bad. And, and they were killing preachers and killing, banging up churches and stuff. And so President Aristide had already invited 200 witch doctors and voodoo priests from, from Africa to come to the nation of Haiti in December of 2003 and hold a ceremony on January 1st of 2004 to rededicate the nation to the devil. They did that every, every hundred years on the fourth year of the century. Uh, so they did it in 1804, 1904, now in 2004. They were going to do it again. And so I'm preaching to these pastors, and I'm preaching spiritual authority to them. And I kept telling them, you cannot let this ceremony take place. This is your land. You plant the flag of King Jesus. You don't allow this thing to be dedicated to the devil. You take spiritual authority. You take dominion. You pray. You believe God. And then one day I was telling them all this stuff, and I heard myself say this. I said, in fact, I decree to you as a man of God in the name of Jesus and the office of apostle that God's called me to, that ceremony will will not take place, will not happen. This nation will not be dedicated to the devil again. And if it does, and I'm not a man of God, and you will never have to listen to me again. I'm a false prophet. I said, and furthermore, President Aristide will be out of office and out of this nation. And if that doesn't happen, I'm not a man of God. Well, those passengers looked at me, and their eyes rolled back in their head, and they thought I was crazy. But come January 1st, I started getting emails from Haitian pastors saying, Brother Terry, the ceremony didn't take place. They canceled the ceremony. The, the witch doctors went home, blah, 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 blah. And then on February the 29th, you Google this and you'll see it's true. February 29th, there's news all over the world. President Aristide left his office and left the nation and nobody knows why. To this day, nobody knows why. It was on, it was on every news media outlet in the world that the president of, of Haiti has fled his office and fled the nation and nobody knows why. And he, and, he, and he never came back to Haiti from, from 04, February of 04 until last year. He came back for a two-week visit and then went right back to Africa again. What do we do? We change the post. We put the post. See, I, I talked to men this week. You, 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 the church needs to be making history, and the church needs to be changing history. Make history changing. One last story. There's an automobile plant in Mexico back in 1977. My dear friend Wayne Myers, we've talked about this week. One of the old guys, he's 94 years old, still preaching the gospel. And uh, we were just with him last week. And uh, 
Brother Wayne told me, he said, I want you to go up to this town called Tepepulco, and I want you to preach for two weeks. They need a lot of help up there. So I, I did. I went up there and preached. Well, the church was just in depression. I mean, I got there and preached, and they were all sitting like this. And I preached Sunday night, and nothing happened, you know, and the people didn't say amen or hallelujah. And I, I prayed for them, and nothing happened. I, I asked the pastor after service, what's wrong with your people? What's wrong with this church? He said, oh, Brother Terry, I should have I canceled the meetings. I shouldn't have had you in. He said, the only reason I had you in is because Brother Wayne asked me to have you. And, and, uh, but he said, it's a bad time. He said, man, it's really bad. And I said, what's going on? And he said, well, there's a plant here called the Dina plant, and they make automobiles. And we're kind of like Detroit in America used to be. And we make automobiles and cars and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And that's what we do for a living. And, and he said, it's closing down this week. It's going out of business Wednesday morning, 9 o'clock. And I said, was it a strike or an arbitration? He said, no, 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 it's already done. The president of Mexico has even been up here and made speeches. And the corporate heads have been in and made speeches. Papers have been signed. Wednesday morning, they're locking the door at 9 o'clock. And the town's in depression because everybody's going to be in you know, bad shape. And the president even said it's going to be a horrible economy, but the government will try to help and so on and so forth. So I went in church Monday night, 400 people came back. That's 400 people in this church. They came back. I don't know why they came back. And, uh, and I preached my sermon, and they just sit there just miserable. So I stopped right in the middle of my sermon. I said, everybody look up here at me. Give me attention. I said, pastor tells me that this Dina plan is closing down Wednesday morning, day after tomorrow. Wednesday morning, 9 o'clock, going out of business. And I said, what I need to know is how many of you does it affect personally and directly? I mean, either you work there or your husband works there. Or your father works there. Or your brother works there. I mean, no women would have worked there in those days. But, but somebody in your family works there. And if it closes, it will directly affect you. Let me see your hand. Almost everybody in church raised their hand. And I said, all right. I said, now listen to me. I said, I know the president of Mexico said it's closing. I know the plant says it's closing. I know the owners of the plant say it's closing. I know everybody said it's closing. But I decree to you as a man of God in the name of Jesus and the office of apostle that God's called me to, that plant will not close down Wednesday morning nor thereafter. And I said, if it does, I'm a false prophet. I'm not a man of God. If it does, you can tell everybody in these two cities that God of Terry Mize is a liar. And I'll pack my bags and go home. I won't even be here Wednesday night. I'll pack up and leave. I said, but I'm not packing. I'm not leaving. I'm going to be right here Wednesday night. We can have church. Well, they just sit there. I finished my sermon. Nothing. Prayed for, prayed for people. Nothing. Tuesday night, they all came back. I don't know why they came back, but they came back. <laughs> I preached my sermon. They just sit there miserable. Finally, I stopped. said, everybody look up at me. Give me your attention. I said, I told you last night. I need to repeat it tonight. That that plant's not closing tomorrow. I decree as a man of God in the name of Jesus and the office God's called me to. That plant's not closing tomorrow nor thereafter. And if it does, you can tell everybody in these two, two towns that God of Terry Mize is a liar. I'm a false prophet. And I'll, I'll leave town. I won't even be here. But I said, I'm not packing. I'm not leaving. We're going to have church tomorrow night. They just sit there. I finished my sermon. Called folks up. Prayed. Nothing. But Wednesday morning, the plant didn't close. And Wednesday night, we had some church. <laughs> Wednesday, Wednesday night, there was no, wasn't no 400 there. I mean, that thing was jam-packed. People sitting in the floors, in the aisles. People standing along the walls. The windows were open. People standing outside looking in. And, I mean, we had six children that were deaf and mute, healed by the power of God. We had a lady with a huge gorder in her chest that fell off. We had a girl died, and we raised her from the dead. We had a girl that was born with epileptic seizures, never had another seizure in her life. We had a guy with a stroke completely healed. He drugged one part of his body. You know, he is healed. We just had miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. The pastor himself had tubes coming out of his side into a bag. And the doctors told him, the rest of your life you can only eat uh, boiled vegetables. No spices of any kind. No butter, salt, pepper, chilies, uh, hot sauce. N nothing, nothing. Just boiled vegetables mashed up like baby food. The rest of your life. 
One night I was, I was preaching in the two weeks that I was there, and I turned to him and I said, Pastor, you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. You can eat anything you want. He went out that night and ate barbecued goat and completely healed by the power of God. Now, when I, when I left there, when I left there after two weeks, in fact, they said, how did you do that? I said, well, let's start having morning meetings, and I'll tell you. So I started teaching faith in the morning and evangelistic services at night. And when I left there driving back to Mexico City, I, I, I said to the Lord, I said, now, Lord, I heard myself say, that it won't close Wednesday morning, nor thereafter. I said, I don't know what that means. I said, nor thereafter could be a long time. And I said, you know, if this thing closes, you know, in a year or two, I said, your name's on the line, my name's on the line. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what to believe for. I don't know what that means. And, and I said, talk to me about what's a fair time limit, that, that, that everybody will know it's God. And finally, I just settled on an arbitrary figure of 10 years. I thought, well, if it's 10 years, then nobody can say that wasn't a miracle, and nobody can say that wasn't God. So I checked on that thing for 10 years. And for 10 years, it didn't close, so I quit checking on it. That was 1977. I checked on it until 1987. But this is 2016. It's still open today. And they, and they still tell that story. They... They still tell that story. They don't, know who, they don't know my name anymore. They don't know who it was. They say a missionary came in here and said these things, and the plant's still open. And uh, see, what do we do? We, we move the post. We change history. We made history. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're going to have to get back to the post. We're going to have to get back to the post. You're going to have to have something your faith is anchored to, something that you, gives you a basis, a foundation for miracles, something gives you a basis, a foundation for your faith to work, and it's going to be this post this post. But to stand, to stand up with me. This word will change your life. This word will change your circumstances. This word will change your kids, your grandkids, your job, your town, and everything else. Amen? Don't remove the post of the ancient that your fathers have said. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the people being gracious and attentive and staying with me, Lord. And thank you for this word penetrating our heart and going into our spirits. And this is a word that we can take to the bank. This isn't just some nice little three points in a poem that we leave and say, oh, the preacher preached good today. No, this is a life-changing weapon and a tool that we can take and use in our daily life with our family, with our job, with our finances, with our health, with our marriage, with everything we do, we can take that and always go back to the post and not and leave those foundations secure. And we've got our faith anchored to the post in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it. We give you the glory, the honor, the praise, the majesty. We pray for our great nation. Father, we remember what happened on 9-11. People, a lot of people are forgetting. We don't forget that. We remember. Lord, we honor this nation. We honor our flag. We honor the national anthem. Father, we honor what the founding fathers said, as well as honoring that that you've said. Of course, what you've said always is more important than what they said. If there's ever a conflict, then we go with the Bible, not the government. And in Jesus' name, we thank you for it. And we give you glory and honor and praise, majesty and dominion. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.